the promised one? What's Messiah? Liberator. Savior. He's here. He's the gift. gift. What is it about the gift? The importance of the gift. There was a nine-year-old girl. Her name was Carrie. She had just moved at the end of the summer from the state of Virginia to Pennsylvania. She was missing her friends. She was knowing that she was headed to a new school, and she was nervous about that, and she was torn in her emotions, and her mom knew that, and So she goes to the new school, and she's been there a few weeks, and it didn't take her very long to to notice that there's one girl in the class who's a little strange. Her hair's always disheveled, and and she doesn't seem to have the same clothing and outfit that other people in the class have, and it doesn't take Carrie as a somewhat outsider long to figure out that this girl, even with a weird name, Della, is strange. She sees that the kids treat her a little different, and she sees, while she's trying to gain her own acceptance, that there's tension here. So she's torn, like, what do I do? How do I respond? I'm watching this girl, and and yet I'm trying to get accepted, and I'm missing my friends in another state, and she's nine. Third week of school, she gets a birthday invitation to Della's house and she is hearing whispers from the other kids after watching them treat this girl differently that some of them are not going to the birthday party. She does not want to go to the birthday party. She's got the reasons and the reasons are this girl's weird. Um, I, I don't know, I don't know these other kids that well. It's not in my mind the way I want to spend a Saturday but her mom has figured out that one of the ways that I'm going to get my daughter Carrie to fit into this class is I'm going to send her to this birthday party, whether she wants to go or not. Her mom buys a gift and she tells her on Saturday at 1230, guess what? You're going to the birthday party. She's mad the whole way to the birthday party. She gets to Della's house. It is not an attractive house. In fact, she's a little bit afraid. The mom pulls up. They don't see any other cars there. She's looking for the other kids in the class. No one else is there yet. They go to the front door. She's fighting with her mom the whole way. On the way there, she said to her mom, what's the gift that you got her, by the way? She didn't even pick it out. The gift. And her mom says, hey, I got her this origami construction set. And Carrie said, oh, that's the favorite gift you've ever given me. You mean you got it for her? And she said, well, yeah, you liked it. So I figured, I figured Della was going to like it. Now, mom's never met Della. Mom walks her to the door. The door opens after a few knocks. I mean, the, the, the porch is kind of creaky. The, the house is unattractive. It's, it's a tense situation for a nine-year-old, you see? Della opens the door. Mom sees right away what Carrie's been talking about, that this girl doesn't dress normal. She doesn't look normal. It's kind of a smoky-filled room, and Della says, Hey, I'm glad you're here, and invites her in. Carrie goes in the room and she asks her, where's your dad? Where's your mom? Dad's not here. 
conversation stalls. Remember, they're nine. They're not adults. Carrie's mom leaves, and she says, I'll see you in two hours. And Della's sitting there while Carrie is surveying the scene from inside the house now. There's a chocolate cake. There are 28 cupcakes surrounding the chocolate cake. There are some games on one table. The food is over here. It's, it's, and then finally her mom comes down. And she sees in the mom why the, gar, the daughter, Della, dresses a little weird. So they're sitting there. She meets her mom. It's, it's you know, two, three minutes. And it seems like an eternity has taken place. If you're nine, I mean, this is... Do you remember being nine? You're at a birthday party. It's supposed to be an exciting moment, but you didn't want to go. You didn't even pick out the gift. And five minutes of almost silence, and then she asked her another question. Stay with me. And after this question, she realizes, are you listening? No one else is coming to the birthday party. There's 28 cupcakes. There's a chocolate cake behind it. There are games on this table. There's one nine-year-old girl. There's Carrie, the new nine-year-old girl, and a mom. No one else is coming. She goes from angry that she's there to in just a few minutes going, you know what? This is messed up. There's 26 other, 27 other kids in my class, and nobody's coming. And she makes a decision that only a nine-year-old girl probably could do, and she says, you know what? We're, we're, I'm just going to make the best of it. And she begins to engage this girl, and they have some awkward conversations, but she says, look, you know what? Let's just have some fun. And what proceeds to happen in the next two hours is two nine-year-old girls become very good friends and they eat all the chocolate cake and they play all the games and they have an absolute blast and she opens one gift and she loves it. And Carrie's mom pulls up and she's sort of been anxious and she's waiting and Carrie gets in the car and she says, how was the party? Greatest party I ever been to, mom. Really, she said. Greatest party ever. I'm almost sick. I ate so much cake, and we ate cupcakes, and we played. We got to play every game. It was awesome. And then she told her, nobody else came. Whew. Tomorrow, by the way, is a birthday party. And all are invited. All since the beginning of time have been invited. Did you know that? It's a birthday party. And yet some still choose not to go. And some of the reasons that they choose not to go, maybe you already know them. Now we've read a lot of scriptures tonight, so I'm going to save the scripture that I want till the end on purpose. It's not normal. Usually somebody that's speaking would give you their scripture and they would walk you through the text and then go through it. You've heard all of the Christmas scriptures tonight, but I'm going to save one for the end. 
I want to just quickly give you this so you get this. Most people believe, stay with me, that only two of the gospel writers talk about the birth of Christ. And while only two of them specifically address it, it's Matthew, then there's Mark, then there's Luke, and there's John. Typically, everybody reads the Matthew account and they read the Luke account. We read both of them tonight. Luke is the one that everyone uses the most, right? It's almost as popular as John 3.16. But stay with me. Matthew is a Jew. And Matthew writes to a Jewish audience. Mark is different. Mark is writing to a Roman audience. Luke is a Gentile. Luke is writing to a Gentile audience. And then we get to John. And John is writing to Gentile-speaking Romans. All four of these had an audience they were going after, and I'm going to talk about that just for a second to give you a snapshot of what's going on here. Matthew was writing about the announcement of Jesus as king. Mark, in his book, although he doesn't detail the nativity that night, Mark, in chapter 6, listen to these words. Mark said, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? And the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? This is weird. Stay with me. Most people always in genealogy referred to the father. Why did Mark refer to him as Mary's son? Mark knew. Mark mostly wrote from the transcription of Peter, by the way. Luke, he's a doctor, and he's writing to Gentiles because he's a Gentile. He writes an orderly, detailed account as only a doctor would, which is probably why we read his the most. Luke emphasizes, are you listening? The emphasis is about the shepherds, about Mary, about the lowly, about Jesus reaching the margins. That's what Luke's going after when he tells this story. John. John writes, and it was just read, in the beginning, he goes all the way back to the beginning, and he says, hey, I'm not going to detail you the night that he was born, but in the beginning was this man who became flesh, the word, and he dwelt among us. Wow. Now I'm going to give you three words. And I'm going to talk, try to talk really fast. I'm hope, I hope I'm not talking too fast. But somebody told me before we started, they've been up since 3.30. So they said, talk loud. And I said, I already know the second part. Talk fast so I can get you out of here. The first word is giver. Do you know that there is a group of people and they are called social psychologists? So they study sociology, people, and the way that they behave and have always behaved, and psychologists. Listen to this now. This is entry-level giving. Social psychologists will tell you that up until a child is about the age of five, children do not know how to share. In fact, they won't share. Many of you who have young kids or grandkids, you will remember those days where anything within their reach, it doesn't even have to be something they want. If someone else has it, they want it. But about the age of five, this entry-level giving starts when someone can actually, between five, six, and seven, learn to share. Now, it typically doesn't last long, but they've actually studied this. The giver. Kids will actually start sharing. You don't have to be a Christian to, to, to give, by the way. You don't. Listen to these stats from two years ago. Americans... Americans, not the world, Americans gave two years ago to charitable organizations $390 billion in one calendar year. That's amazing. I'm pretty sure all of those weren't Christians. I wish some of them would come to Africa. 
roughly a quarter, stay with me now, uh, in the same calendar year, another 193 billion time hours were given. What does that mean? That means people gave of their time, not just their money, which is typically harder, which you see the two numbers, right? 390 million will give you the money. 190 billion will give you the time. Combine those together. That's over 500 billion hours of time and money given in one calendar year by Americans alone. Pretty good. The getter. Do you know that the average person will tell you what they want as a gift? But most people don't listen. Most people just figure, well, we're just going to get them a gift and they'll be happy with it. And, and studies show that most people don't like the gifts that they give. And I'm not even talking about the, the gifts, stay with me, that you get, you know, like the teacher down the hallway got me a gift, so I got to get them a gift. The coworker got me a gift, so I better get them a gift. Because, but you really don't know what to give. So we just give something, right? Just to check the box because we don't want to feel bad. And there's that level of gift. It's amazing. Most people don't even like the gifts that they get. That's not the case in the story we're reading tonight. The getter. The getter is the person that gets a specified desirable thing. Somebody told me yesterday they didn't even know that was an actual word. There is an actual word. It's called the getter. Not like get her done, getter. Just seeing if y'all are still with me. The gift, the third part. What is the gift and why is it significant? The promised gift is given to us and the gift has names. What are the names? If I, if, I, if I could just, you know how you go to Walmart and they got those massive bins and they're just full of DVDs for like $2 and you can just sift through them? This gift is like that bin. It's all in one contained and you can sift through them. And Isaiah opens it up for you when he says he's wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, savior, Messiah. And he just throws them all in one bin and he says, which one do you need? Because it's all the same gift, even though it seems like different gifts for you at different times of your life on the journey. It's all in the gift. He gives us handles to grab hold of the gift. Now, do you know that some give out of duty and obligation? Then there's others that give a gift, stay with me, like the scene you just watched, where somebody actually put time into thinking, what does this person actually want? What would they need? That's another level. So we've got sharing. Are you still with me? Then we've got the next level, which is I just give the gift, right? A gift. I'm not sure if they need it or not. They may not need it. They may not even want it. Then we move to the, I'm actually going to consider what does this person want or need? That's a third level of giving, right? Where we've actually taken time to think about, and hopefully you've done that before tomorrow. That's not the one I want to focus on. That's pretty good. That's what Ray did here. Even though Ray didn't come up with the idea, his brother did. Like, do you even know your wife? You know? Then there's the third level. Really the fourth level. The ultimate gift 
The ultimate gift is one that someone has picked out, which they thought that the receiver not only needs, but that they want and stay with me. People actually study this and they give a piece of themselves to the receiver. So it's not about the monetary value. It's not, oh, there's a sacrifice involved here. This isn't an easy gift. But the receiver, when they get the gift, gets a piece of the giver. You still with me? You put it together? That was not a biblical study, by the way, but I wonder where they got that from. Where we have a giver who presents a gift, who knew you. He knew not only what you wanted, but more what you needed, and he gives the gift. And part of the gift is his very self. What can I give people? How about I just give them my son? Wonder if they would like that gift. That's a way up here level giving. The giver gifts, one that the receiver not only needs, but they get a piece. That's the gospel. 2 Corinthians 9.15, and I'm almost done, says this. Thanks be to God for his, not ours, not anything we did. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. We have no other words to put with it. We're limited for his indescribable gift. And now here we come down to the end. This is a weird scripture, Kevin, that you would pick. Matthew chapter 1, verse 17. I think the words are here. Thus there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile in Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Are you still listening? Stay with me. Matthew, who is a Jew, writing to Jewish people, he was also a tax collector. He was thought of as the lowest of the low, spends 16 verses in the beginning of Matthew to tell you about the genealogy of this whole thing. He includes five women, which is ridiculous because Jews woke up every day thinking, I'm glad I'm not a woman and I'm glad I'm not a Gentile. And some of the people that he includes are not good women. Go Google it. And he does it on purpose. And the reason that he does it, are you listening, is because he wants you to know, I didn't just list names, 14 plus 14 plus 14, which by the way is two sevens, two sevens, two sevens. You know the significance of the number seven, right? This is no accident. 14 plus 14 plus 14, and I wish I had more time to get into that. And then he comes to the last word and he says, and this is the Messiah. And he is, by the list of names I've just given you, some of them not good people, some of them horrible reputations, this is a gift that is presented for all. Because the Savior that is king came not just for the lonely. He didn't come just to lead people who couldn't identify with him. I set it up in the very beginning of my book. After 400 years of silence, we turn the page and he gives you 14 plus 14 plus 14, which is 42. And he goes, here he is. Here's the promised one. What's Messiah? 
liberator, savior. He's here. He's the gift. He's the one you've been waiting for. Wow. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I will bring you good news that will be for only certain people. For only Christian people, for only good people, for only people that do this, or for only, it will be for all people. Here it is. That's the gift I offer. So what will you do with your gift? What will you do? In the beginning, we started with a song. And it's a Christmas song. But I think some of you may have missed this. I think you might have missed it because Ethan was doing such a great job of banging this snare drum. Come, they told me, parumpa pum pum, a newborn king to see. Our finest gifts we bring to lay before the king so to honor him we come. Parumpa pum pum. Little baby, I am a poor boy. See, he's emphasizing in the song right here. Hey, I know some good gifts were brought, but here's what I got. I got a drum. That's all I got. Shall I play for you? Parumpa pum pum. Mary nodded. I played my drum for him. I played my best for him. Here it is. So here's the kid. He's banging away for everything he's worth. He doesn't have all these other gifts to give, but he walks up to the king who's a baby, and it says this line, and then he smiled at me. And then he smiled at me. Parumpa pumpa. Me and the only gift I got, my drum. What do I have to bring you, Jesus? I'm bringing you a part of me. It's all I got. It's the only thing I know, me and my drum. The gift. As you sit here tonight, I'm, quite, I'm just wondering, what's the gift, regardless of your age right now, what's the gift that you can't wait to see that you got tomorrow? And some of you are sitting here and you get this, right? There's some of you who can't, wait for the other thing to happen that's for the gift that you wrapped and you want to see the reaction on the face of the person who will receive the gift I don't even need to make any more spiritual application King Jesus the baby and then he smiled at me me and my dream 